welcome to the Gregory House podcast. This is How to Have Spiritual Children, Our Vision for Multiplying Churches by Canon Molly Ruck. It is really fun to be back at Resurrection and um, talking with you about this. Um, this is a vision for multiplication, and so I entitled this How to Have Spiritual Children. We've talked about spiritual parenting. Let's talk about how to have spiritual children. And I think that um, starting with uh, a vision for why we have spiritual children um, is this verse from Ezekiel 37. I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them. Uh, That our vision for why we have spiritual children is because we want to see that ever-expanding work of God being present to his people. And so... God is the one who multiplies, and it is for his presence to be known. So we don't have spiritual children because, um, uh, you know, we want to, like, have a kind of a score sheet of, like, we have had this many spiritual children or something, or we've, you know, seen this many conversions. Those are all good, but we want to see this happen because we're witnesses of God's work. He multiplies, and he puts his sanctuary among us. Um, Our diocese is committed to multiplying churches, and multiplying churches means that we have to multiply leaders um, because churches need leaders, Uh, not just a, like, church planter or rector. Churches need lots of leaders uh, to do the work. And so I want to kind of have this big picture um, about it, but know that like whether you're on staff or as a resident, um, you are part of the work of the greater diocese of the multiplication of leaders. Uh, There's a a church missiologist, a German, uh, Christian Schwartz. He wrote a book, Natural Church Development. He says this about multiplication. The principle of multiplication applies to all areas of church life. Just as the true fruit of an apple tree is not an apple, but another tree, the true fruit of a small group is not a new Christian, but another group. The true fruit of a church is not a new group, but a new church. The true fruit of a leader is not a follower, but a new leader. The true fruit of an evangelist is not a convert, but a new evangelist. Reproduction through multiplication is simply a life principle of all God-created organisms, including the church. Um, I want to draw on the board, and so for those listening, I'm drawing, I'm going to be drawing a pyramid on the board. Um, This is from the book Global Church Planting by Ott and Wilson, and that's like a textbook on church planting. So it's only like a great book to read if like you really want to know everything about church planting. It's, it's a textbook. But, uh, but this, is a popular, um, this is a popular picture, like illustration in church planting books. So we've got um, a pyramid. Um, And in the pyramid, uh, this is oftentimes called a reproduction pyramid or a multiplication pyramid that um, disciples, you have disciples that um, are being multiplied, and that leads into having leaders multiplied, which leads into ministry being multiplied or kind of like ministry expressions uh, which eventually lead into churches being multiplied. So this is the base of the um, kind of reproduction is that we make disciples. We make disciples and from those leaders are made and ministry expands and then another new church starts. And I do think that that is a significant kind of order of progression, but I think it's missing a couple of layers, significant layers on the bottom of this pyramid. So one of those, um, we'll start coming down here. Uh, I'm going to put in the bottom layer as union with Christ. 
Uh, it is in our union with Christ that we start any work of multiplication. And it's for the reason that, two reasons, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I'll give you two. Only God reproduces. This is not something that you as leaders are capable of doing. Only God reproduces. That we participate in something that only he can do. So when we think about the creation mandate, be fruitful and multiply, and then we also think about the Great Commission, go and make disciples, we need to understand that these are blessings. They're not even so much commands. Commands are something we do in obedience, but a blessing is something that only God can make happen. And any parent, any, any person who's wanted to have a physical child and has been unable uh, through infertility to have a child knows that they can't make a child. Only God makes children. And in that same way of going and making disciples, people involved in the work of like evangelism know you cannot make a disciple. Only God makes disciples. But he does it with us. I love the line in Genesis of Eve saying, with the help of the Lord, I have created a man. And that's the partnership, the union we have with Christ. You know, as Paul says, this is the mystery of being one, Christ and his bride. It is through that union with Christ that we can be fruitful, we can multiply, we can make disciples. And I think that when we jump to here first, it becomes something we think we need to do ourselves. But when we start with this, we recognize we cannot do this apart from Christ. And when it happens, we have gotten to do it. This is something that, that has happened with the help of the Lord. I have created a disciple. With the help of the Lord, I have a spiritual child. God does the reproduction, second thing I want to say, through his church, not individuals. So the, even the go and make disciples was not to one person. Be fruitful and multiply was not told to one person. That reproduction is always, uh, it is not a singular activity. It is always in the company of others. So... Um, that's very important for us in understanding ourselves as the bride, that multiplication cannot happen by us individually, but multiplication happens as we are working together. Um, I love uh, the author, George MacDonald, a Victorian author. Uh, in his book, um, The Elect Lady, he talks about the rule of three. He calls it the rule of three in that book. Um, that wherever two or three are gathered, there Christ is as well. And his rule of three is that it takes two people to always then have a third. So when it's two people together, you always have Christ with you. Um, and I think that's, and he talks about that in that book of the start of a church. The start of the church always starts with the rule of three, two people together with Christ with them. And so as we think about reproduction in our church, multiplication in our churches, it is not anything that any one of us does by ourselves. We always do it together. And I think um, this really goes against our fleshly nature of thinking uh, that we have any capability by ourselves, and instead we're approaching it uh, together. And even thinking through your leadership, we've talked about being spiritual uh, mothers and fathers earlier, and um, just bringing up the, the notice that it was Paul using the we language, that you should always think of who you're leading with. Um, how are you doing your leadership with another, leading together? So we approach ministry uh, in our union, and this leads to having spiritual sons and daughters. Um, and I want the second Next layer, I would say, I'm going to put prayer. That um, disciples are always born out of prayer. So we're unified with Christ, and then prayer has to be foundational to the work of making disciples. 
uh, in scripture. Hannah is uh, one of my heroes in the sense that, like, um, I would like to be, like, uh, thought of as drunk with the Holy Spirit um, like she was, that she was accused of being drunk because of the fervency of her prayers. And um, that she, uh, she just knew that you cannot make a baby, um, and we need to know we cannot make a disciple without the Lord's help. And so as spiritual mothers and fathers, think through how do you infuse the work you do with prayer? How does prayer become the norm in any ministry that you're in? So sound, we talked about soundboard. What, what does prayer look like for the soundboard team? How is there a culture of prayer created in every ministry that we have within the church? And then how do you model prayer? How can you show that um, everything we do depends on a reliance on God, which I think is what prayer does so well. We rely on God. Uh, Ed Stetzer, who's a missiologist right here in Wheaton, says that in research, the number one indicator of church health and longevity is their practices of prayer. And in our Anglican tradition, we have a lot of ways to disciple people in prayer, even just in our prayer book. Um, so be thinking as uh, leaders, how do I infuse what, what we're doing together in prayer? How do I infuse prayer into this? How do I, we stay connected with Christ? How are we dependent on him through prayer in order to see disciples being made? Um, in attending this church many years ago, Church of the Resurrection, uh, it was tempting to want to just find a place to always kind of have a place to serve in this church because we really loved it. And so we just wanted to just be here. Um, and uh, the Lord uh, ended up calling us out, but in doing so, it was for like that verse of, I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them, of seeing so much like what we've experienced in being the bride here needs to be experienced somewhere else by others. And I do think that as we have this like reproduction um, pyramid, that it's, it's really the infusion of joy then that leads to that multiplication. That it has been, it is so precious to be unified with Christ together with you. There are prayers that we've prayed, we've seen answers. More disciples have been made. There have been leaders raised up. There have been ideas about how we can minister to this community. And then it's a joy to go forward and start another church that then becomes a new bride in a new place where God builds his sanctuary among them. So it, this is a joyful process. Again, much like having children, it is a joyful process, even if at times it's challenging. When we think about multiplication, um, it really boils down to you understanding um, the change that's going to happen in you as a spiritual parent. So um, reproduction leads to change. Christian and I, during COVID, uh, uh, Zoom, I think it was on, over Zoom, watched a Zoom play uh, um, of, it was actually like a reading of a play being done. And I think it worked really well. I, I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, but in the play, uh, there was a woman um, saying that when she has a baby in her future, that she is not going to be like those parents that revolve all around the baby in her life. Nothing is going to change. She is still going to have dinner every night at 7 with a time of reading a book afterwards. Sunday mornings would be quiet where she'd have the opportunity to read the paper. Um, and the woman that she is talking to about this uh, just cannot stop laughing because she is a mom and knows that that is impossible. When you have reproduction happen, it changes your life. And so when we talk about this reproduction pyramid, 
just know it is all about change. Nothing stays the same. And so you need to think about what change looks like in your life. Um, and then we'll talk about um, you helping others with change. So in this change, um, I've got a list here of six things for um, how change happens in you. So first one on the list is the word motor. And I also got this from that um, church planting textbook, uh, Global Church Planting, because I like the wording in this. Um, but I'll share some other books that this comes from as well. Um, motor. So oftentimes in ministry work, uh, you are maybe the first person making something happen. You're the motor. And again, I think uh, it should be two people always motoring together. Always have someone working with you. Don't do something by yourself in ministry. Um, but you and another person are the motor. motor. Um, in this stage, uh, think of it literally like a boat motor. Like, keep it at a steady pace. Um, don't over-rev the motor. We had a fishing boat growing up, and if you, like, rev the motor too much, like, you know, pretending your fishing boat was really a speedboat as a kid, we'd like to do that. Well, then the motor gave out. So this is like motoring, understanding like this is the stage you start, and you need to make everything kind of at a sustainable pace. Um, you are you are the you are starting something happening. You are starting something moving forward. Um, and this is often the place that a leader steps in, and this is sort of your, the first thing you're doing. The problem is if you always stay as the motor. And that um, is very common in the life of the church, that you are just a great doer. You are doing all the time, and you are so responsible, and everyone loves that you're there to do it again for them, and you're just doing. But as a leader, you cannot stay in this place of motoring. Um, you're going to have to move to the next level. Uh, the next level is being a model. Being a model means that um, you are identifying someone to bring along with you, to model for them. And this is actually kind of moving into that work of spiritual parenting. Um, the, uh, our diocese, when our diocese was forming, a book that we were all reading together was called Exponential uh, by the Ferguson brothers. Um, and they have uh, this um, in their book. They don't have motor, but they have model. And they describe model as I do, you watch, we talk. So I'm going to put on here motor, then model. Um, so as a spiritual parent, you're now a spiritual parent. You've identified someone who you want to bring along with you to model for them what you're doing within your ministry. And so um, in order to know that someone's watching you, I mean, people will watch you. We actually just had a women's retreat, and one of our college students even said, to the women there, I've been watching you all my life. And so we do have people watching us. But in this situation of being the model, you might have to actually invite them to watch you. And maybe invite them saying, I would love for you to be even more involved in this ministry. I'd love to have you watch what I'm doing, and then I'd love to talk about it with you. So you're inviting them in to watch you. When you are doing something in a ministry, you need to make sure that what you're doing is actually reproducible so that when someone watches you, they don't think, I could never do that. And some of like why they say I could never do that is because how you're doing what you're doing is not reproducible. So think through, some of it is their issues of not believing in themselves but some of it is our issues of like, we are creating these things that really only we can do because of how we're doing it. So in your ministry, think about if I'm inviting someone in to watch, will they be able to do what I'm doing? Is it reproducible? In the next stage, uh, after you've talked, and 
and I will say that sometimes as a model, you get to that place of conversation and they bring up things and you're like, no, that's not true. They, you know, some of their talking about what they've seen is kind of a critique and just like, you can handle it. So, um, okay, next stage of um, inviting someone in in this uh, role of parenting is being the mobilizer. This is where you say, I do, you help, and then we talk. In actual physical parenting, this is like mobilizing kids for chores, and this is like what Christian was talking about, about inefficiency. This is an extremely inefficient stage as you are the mobilizer with someone um, because them helping you sometimes is not helping you. Um, but that you need to create that space for them to help you. So we invite someone in, we model for them, now we have uh, invited them to help. And this is super empowering to someone to do this. Um, I have heard numerous stories where uh, this really ends up being the place that changes people's lives. They never thought that there was a place for them, and they never expected being able to help do something. Um, however, we don't want um, this to be like the last thing, where you still stay there and they just always help you, because that does not lead to reproduction. So next is actually um, becoming their mentor, which is you do, I help, we talk. Uh, it's, it's very tempting to just stay as the mobilizer and think, this ministry is running so smoothly. I have all these people helping me, and this is great. But that's not going to be what gets us to that expansion of ministry. So mentoring, you do and I'll help. Um, I have to say, I'm pretty good at being the mobilizer and then saying, okay, now you do. But this part of I help, I'm really bad at. Because I just think, I've delegated this. They know how to do it. And they've got it. And so I don't help them. Um, I don't stick around long enough to, like, be there to help. So this is also a really important step. Like, you do. Like, they've, they're probably at the place where they know how to do it pretty well. But you still stay to help so that you can talk about it. Because they might be doing it recognizing, I don't want to do it the same way that you did it. Can I change this? Or they might have, you might have thought, they know how to do this, and then they do it, and you're helping, and you realize, oh, they, they, don't, they don't totally know how to do this yet. So it's really important in the mentor stage that you stay there and you help. Then um, moving on to the multiplication stage. Um, that is when, multiply, uh, the, they, you do, meaning another person, um, another watches, and then you, they talk, and then you still talk. <laughs> and we're getting into too many pronouns here. But, um, Basically, in the multiplication stage is you're helping this, this person who you are raising up in ministry, where now they are able to do this on their own. You're still there helping them identify people that they are now inviting in to watch them. So now the cycle is starting to continue. Um, and uh, this is a place where you need to make sure that you don't remain as the micromanager. So, like, um, you're starting to pull out um, of this, allowing this other person who you've raised up to have somebody else watching them. 
And then lastly, this um, is memory. And I think this is really, this is a really significant one. Um, so I, in the, I should say in the global church planting, it's this list. In the exponential book, it's just this four. But I think memory is important for us to realize that eventually we step out of things and we become the distant memory. Like, oh yeah, I remember when Molly used to help with blah, blah, blah. I remember when Amy used to be children's pastor. I remember when, like it becomes a memory. Uh, this is hard for us to do as leaders because we end up really liking the things that we do and it's hard for us to pull away and allow somebody else to take them and for us to become the memory. But it's really important for us to do as leaders because as we're wanting to see the expansion of the church, we can't always be doing, in a sense, what we're doing. Can I share a quick story? Of course. Can, can you use the other in? mic? Okay. Oh, yeah, you can lean in. All right, there you go. That'd be oh, like that's, we're that's kissing. Yeah, that's awkward. I'm sorry, this is just funny. We were uh, talking to Trevor and Bonnie McMacken. Yeah, I'm sure many of you know them. And Trevor said something about, yeah, so-and-so. And he's like, you know, they did the first Alpha course at Church of the Resurrection. And you would have thought Molly and I had just been stabbed. We were like, no, they didn't. They did not do the first Alpha course. We did the first Alpha course. And then I heard myself. I was like, oh, my gosh, calm down. You know, like we were so emotional. So anyway, we realized we were a forgotten memory. Uh, we so anyway, so it was something I realized, ooh, I better accept this because I'm a little too defensive about I started Alpha at rest. And that we, we, we helped. It was somebody else doing Alpha at rest. Yeah, that's not important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> somebody else, actually, it was Rick Richardson who did this with us. That's true. I do, and Christian and Molly were watching. That's true. And then he did, and we were helping. So it was this whole thing. And then, yes, we did, and someone else was watching. And if that was forgotten, um, so be it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I really think that this list is a great way to think through how to have spiritual children. Because it's going to require you to intentionally be working with people, but also intentionally changing your role with them um, and progressing through that. Uh, not getting stuck at one of these stages, staying there forever, because then the reproduction will not ever end up happening. What are your thoughts on this? And we'll do this wrong. Can you speak to when you skip a couple steps how you go back and fill in the gaps, or if that's not necessary. Okay, great question about skipping steps. I'll get to that when I'm back up on the board. Yeah. I was just gonna ask, uh, you were mentioning that uh, on the, I think it was the mobilizer stage is the part that can be the most transformative for people. Um, I feel like for at least in my experience, um, the mentoring part also has a lot of transformation that happens in that role as well. And I was wondering if you could maybe speak a little more in depth between like the subtle differences between the two, because I feel like, at least I know for myself, I tend to skip right to that stage and skip the mobilizer stage because I'm like, I mostly learned by doing things and then asking for help when I knew I needed it. And I started realizing very quickly most people don't work that way. so. Anyway, I was just wondering if you could like parse that out a bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll why don't before we have other questions, let me take those two. The first one about like skipping steps and going back. Um, uh, I think um, I think in our ministries uh, we oftentimes skip this step of the "I do, you watch." Um, we we ask people to help, and um, in the I do, you watch, I think we're in this step, we're validating their voice, um, 
and we're validating their ideas that they're bringing into this ministry, that, that they'll have a place in this even before they're helping, you, you know, there's that invitation. I think it's easy to go back um, and say, hey, you've been doing this ministry for a while, but I'd love for this next week you to even just watch what we're doing, and I'd love to talk about it with you. Um, or if, you're, if they're at the stage of your, they're doing, but you maybe haven't been helping them, you can even say, hey, you've been doing this for a while. I'd like to come in and help. And I think the biggest reason to come in and help is to be, how reproducible is this? I'd like to get an understanding of how reproducible it is, what we're doing. Could we talk afterwards? So you're kind of giving an explanation of like why you're coming in to help. Um, so I do think that kind of in each of these, we can, we can insert ourselves back in for the re like, but giving an explanation. I'd, I'd love to do it a week and have you help because I'm thinking through in this ministry how we could reorganize this. I'd love to try out something, you know. So you can be bringing in reasons why you're kind of stepping back in. Um, it might not be fully going back, but you're kind of, you're stepping back in and recalibrating something. Now, if I was understanding you right with like, you just jump to mentor, I do, um, because you learn by doing, I feel like um, uh, this, the learning by doing misses some of the culture DNA transfer that happens in the modeling and mobilizing. So you're jumping and doing, you probably, I don't think anyone ever can really jump in and do without having been there a while to watch. It's like pastors who start at a new church and get the advice, don't change anything for a year, just be there. It's because there's so much culture learning that you have to understand before you can make changes. So I feel like in the modeling and mobilizing, um, you, you're really setting, you're transferring DNA, which is what we do as spiritual parents. We transfer DNA. And that's where just having someone, just handing them something saying, you do this, I'll be on the side helping you, you do this, uh, they could maybe do the task, but are they doing it in the sense of like continuing the family line? Does that make sense? Okay, anyone else want to ask any other questions before we move on? If I could appeal to your personal experience, um, the, the, and I'm, I'm thinking of the four middle stages uh, primarily, which one tends to last the longest and which one tends to last uh, the shortest. Okay, which one lasts longest or shortest? Um, that's a great question because this is not a timeline. Like week one, you're the model. Week two, you're the mobilizer. This is so, in a sense, child dependent. And that's where we really are spiritual parents getting to know children. How, you know, I have four children and this looks totally different in different ones' lives. Like, um, I, I have one child who just, they will observe and take everything in for quite a while, and then when they get to this and this, it's really quick um, because of, how, like, how observant they are. They've been actually able to understand the reason why, like, the sequence of something happened, and so like the these go quickly i have another child who is completely like unaware like you know <laughs> he's wonderful but like the mobilizing stage where he's helping me is a long stage because like he's just not like we're just doing it together for a long time and then we're, and then we're actually doing this for maybe a shorter time than that, but it's longer. So, and also, it's also what you're doing together, at, too. So, I mean, it's so child-dependent, and that's where I think ministry being uh, spiritual parenting fits so well that we don't make things like 
this is what, this is our training. We do this, we do this, we do this, and, and now you're trained. Because we rely so much on like just information that we forget that as we're raising people up, they're, they're processing of how they're absorbing this and taking ownership of it looks different for different personalities. My question is how intentional do you need to be in letting the person know this is the process and this is the end result? Uh, does it change things for them if they're helping out but they don't know that, oh, I'm helping so that I'll eventually be leading? Or is it sometimes necessary to trick people into the process? Like you're, you're helping and now you're doing this and then, and then you're like, and now you're gonna lead. And they're, so can you, can you speak like how intentional you need to be? Okay, how intentional. Um, man, I, I used to be the, I'm tricking you into it. Like, you didn't know it, but like, you're now the, gonna be the blah, blah, blah. You know, um, that, I don't think that works. I like the intentionality of it. Um, actually, our, our, uh, our guy who's sort of our sound guru, we had to convince him of this because he was like, I don't want people watching me. Like, and, and that feels awkward to say, I'm doing this and you're watching. He's like, that, like, they should be able to do this now. And um, we were like, you, you've got to bring the intentionality into it because they do need to know that at a certain point in time, you're not going to be here. And they're going to be doing this on their own. And so they need to know that up front. Um, I don't think that we necessarily need to call someone a leader right away. Like that leader, identifying the next leader has to come maybe with more time. But telling people, I'm doing this now and I want you to be able to do this is maybe the terminology versus I'm leading this now and you're going to be the leader. Because like along this process, you might discover things about that person that you didn't know before. So. I hesitate in saying to someone up front, I'm leading this and you're going to lead this, more so I'm doing this and I want to make sure you know how to do this. Um, and, and then somewhere along the way, if you're really sensing from the Lord they are the next leader, I think bringing people into that and just saying, this is what I'm sensing, let's be in prayer about this as, you, as, as we're doing this as well. So does that answer that question? Okay. Um, just know that these phases are time-consuming. Um, this is where, again, I, I like to just quickly hand things off and have had to learn, like, no, this, this actually takes time with people. Um, it's, uh, it really is like uh, doing chores with your kids. If you don't have kids yet, or you're probably maybe still remember when your mom taught you how to do chores. It's, it was a kind of a pain for her, but it has great rewards. So it's like, man, um, it really is important to do, and it's time consuming, but it's so important. As I said earlier, when we're doing these things, you need to make sure that what you're doing is reproducible. So um, we can have ideas in our ministries that are so dependent on who we are and like the special gift we bring, not that you can't like infuse something with like a special thing that you do. But um, you have to identify that knowing other people can't do that. Um, because it's very discouraging to people that you're bringing up when it's, you're creating something impossible for them to do. Uh, so think through, how are you presenting what you're doing? Is it possible for other people to, to do? And are you okay with other people doing it differently from you? Uh, we're the body. We all bring different gifts. It doesn't all have to be done exactly how you do it. So in this process of change, there's even this analysis in yourself like, okay, with that idea they just had of how to do it, am I okay with that? And if I'm not okay with that, why am I not okay with that? Is that because it really has to only be done this certain way, or can it be done differently? The other thing I think in this is moving from motor to model. So that's going back up to that. 
asking other people to watch us means that we need to be okay with having other people see us make mistakes and not doing it perfectly. You can't stay in the motor area until you have totally perfected something because that's just not going to ever happen. So you need to be okay with knowing I'm inviting someone in and they're going to get to know me and they're going to see that I don't do this perfectly and they might even point that out that we can't have it all together before we invite someone in because um, that would just never happen. Uh, I want to talk uh, next about some of the inhibitors uh, to this change happening, reproduction happening in our church. Uh, so the first one is uh, that oftentimes it's our own uh, possessiveness and pride that keep reproduction from happening. This happens on an individual level within our ministries, but it actually also happens with churches that churches don't want to reproduce because they're very possessive of everything that they have currently in their church. Um, we're getting ready to start a daughter church next month, and if we were possessive, we would never be starting it because it's, it's just we're having some amazing people go and start this new church, and uh, so it's really testing our selfishness. Um, but in our own individual, we will sometimes want to keep ministry to us. We enjoy it. It brings us a lot of pleasure. It makes us feel good about ourselves. We know how to do it well. And we just want to keep it. And uh, for me, like, this is funny, but it was the building team at Church of the Cross. I did not want to give up being on the building team when my ministry was expanding into other areas because I liked having a voice on that team. It was talking about things I enjoyed, carpet, colors, paint colors. I didn't want to give it up. And I had, and I even kept thinking, well, I can do those other ministries and still be on the building team. But I couldn't. I wasn't giving everything that the building team needed. I couldn't do that. But um, it, it's silly, but we get possessive about what we want to stay doing. So we need to be able to give things away and not let that inhibit the expansion of ministry by not wanting to give something up. And even understanding um, you, there might be a grief process even in giving something up ministry-wise, and that's okay too. Uh, but also part of our possessiveness is that when we say it's easier for us to do it ourselves. Whenever you're saying that in ministry, oh man, this is just easier for me to do it myself, um, like that should be like red light. Ding, ding, ding. No, it's not. It's not easier for you to do it yourself because then you're always going to be doing it and ministry will not expand. So there's a line in a song. Is this Jason Isbell? It gets easy, but it never, uh, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. Yeah, it gets easier, but it never gets easy to give up ministries. A uh, second inhibitor is that we all resist change. That's just human nature. Generally, we resist change. There are some outliers in this who don't resist change, but generally, most of us resist change. And whenever we're in this place of healthy reproduction, which a church should be, that means we are always changing. And actually, even as you invite someone new in on Sunday morning, you've just changed Church of the Resurrection. A new person in your congregation changes the congregation. So change is always happening in the life of a congregation. Um, but change really causes anxiety in people. They don't like change. They want things to stay the same. And so uh, we can inhibit growth by bending in towards that anxiety and trying to keep everything the same. And so as leaders, you really have this place of um, normalizing change and being that calming presence in change. Um, and so um, this is just something for you to be aware of, uh, especially when there's conflict or tension. Oftentimes, conflict or tension is related to someone reacting to something that's changing and they don't know how to voice it. 
but it's bringing up anxiety for them. Has anyone seen that? Yes? Okay. So having um, a calming presence and understanding, even as you speak of ministry, um, normalize the change of it. We're doing this now. You know, next year this will look different, but we are laying the foundations for this, and then it's going to grow, and isn't that exciting? Normalizing that change. And then um, a last uh, inhibitor I'll mention today um, is that uh, timidity is often what keeps us from reproducing. Um, sometimes I hear this um, with um, people who are married who say, I, I just, I don't know if we can ever have kids. I don't know if I would do it right. Um, I think that that same kind of thinking is also within our churches. Um, there's a inhibitor of timidity, of nervousness about, about expanding and doing that next thing. Uh, so I want to take some time and read this verse that's in your notes. Um, when you read this, I want you to point out in this passage from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10, what does God do and what do we do in this? So make a list, what God does and what we do. Okay, what are some of the things that God does in this passage? You know, we're going to just tell the people, we, we usually listen to your podcast, so I'll just tell the people listening to this podcast, like, you just talk wherever you are about your own list. We won't record this one, um, or we'll just yell it out. So what are, just yell out, what are some of the things that God does? Um, and just thinking in this passage, uh, I, I feel like uh, in the church generally, general church, there is such a scarcity mentality um, of feeling like we don't have enough for the moment. And this is just right flies in the face of that, that um, that is not how we live as those who um, multiply within the church, that we're able to multiply because we have a God who is abundant in what he gives, what he supplies. Again, this is even thinking about we don't make disciples. We also don't create seed, but it is freely given, and it is amply supplied. And so as we think about the increase of what we're doing and asking the Lord to increase what we're doing, uh, it, in a sense, it's a prayer that's already been answered by him. He says, this is what I am doing for you. And so we can be in that place that each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So to think about our giving, our service and ministry, um, we need to decide what we can give but we need to decide what we can give based on knowing what we have. And so having that understanding of what is being given to us helps us then in deciding what we give. So timidity um, and this scarcity mindset really keeps us from reproducing. Uh, in people that we're working with, this is often expressed in their thinking um, and even saying, I don't know if I have anything to offer. And so identifying, even helping them identify, working with them to identify, God has given you abundantly. What does the abundance he's given you look like? How do we help you identify it? Because um, that line comes up so much. Um, another thing that, that is just the fear of trying something new. Uh, we're just in the culture that doesn't ever want to make a mistake in front of anyone else. No one can see a mistake being made, you know, the, the sort of life of perfection. So um, even like knowing that you're not going to do it perfectly, and how do we create a culture in our church that's okay for it not to be done perfectly? Um, I think that we, you know, we adopted the res culture that I know you guys have, of like, we just do things with excellence. 
We have beautiful music. We have really good preaching. We have ministries that run well. And, um, and it can be intimidating for people. So how do we create avenues where they, we're able to bring them into ministry without them feeling like they have to have it all together before they enter in? And I do think the time spent watching and knowing that you're going to be helping them um, through process really helps in that. Um, but also people will sense timidity in leaders and act likewise. So we need to be thinking about as leaders, what are the things that we are fearful of or timid in or, or um, feeling a lack of abundance in in our lives that might be being noticed in others? because people will reflect the level of timidity within us as leaders. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Amy send an article out. Kerry Newhoff is a writer. He also has like four other inhibitors. I've mentioned three today of just um, our possessiveness of ministry, uh, the resistance to change, and then also our, our timidity when it comes to reproducing. I want to actually, before I get into some practicals, I'd love for us to have some time to pray together about those things. And um, so I'd like to do it in groups of three. So um, get together in a group of three, and uh, maybe there's one of those inhibitors uh, to change in reproduction that you feel more acutely in your life um, and let's just pray about those things together uh, for a time, and then we'll come back um, to talk about practical lessons. So let's give, let's give five or six minutes. Let's give six minutes for that time of prayer. And Lord, just even as I'm interrupting people's prayer before you, I'm just wanting to... Um, bring all of our prayers before you, whether they've been spoken or remain unspoken, that you would um, not allow anything to inhibit the growth of your church, that you would, um, you would be magnified and glorified through your church. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, that we get to do this, um, that we get to be part of a family, uh, we get to see your glory shine, we get to go forward and um, expanding your work, we get to be sent. And so, Lord, um, just give us great joy uh, in our partnership with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, I will end with just two things. Don't do anything alone here at church. Do work with someone. And then we're reproducing, we're not cloning. So it's a beautiful, wonderful, messy process of inviting others in to do the work of the Lord. And so um, just be prepared for that and expect, expect the mess, um, but it, it's all a beautiful part of what God is doing. I'm so glad I, Krishna and I were able to share with you today. We just love you guys and you are in our prayers, our thoughts. We um, think of you so often. So thanks for the invitation. <laughs>